0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this afternoon in connection with Lord's Day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism. First of all, we turn to Genesis chapter 9, the verses 1 to 7. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And for our New Testament reading, we turn to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, the verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell." Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. I preached to you this afternoon from the word of our God as the church confesses and summarizes this in Lord's day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us, that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No, when God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Perhaps if you've taken a very close look at that particular Lord's Day, you can see that actually the heart of the catechism's treatment of the Sixth Commandment is to be found in 105, and that's why it's very personal and begins with all these I am and I's and so forth, whereas 106 and 107 is a commentary further on 105 as well as on the commandment. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the story goes something like this. A young black football player is taken in for questioning by the police. After many, many hours of interrogation, he signs a confession stating that he raped and murdered a white cheerleader. In due time, the courts find him guilty and sentence him to death by lethal injection. A week before the sentence is carried out, a just-released criminal shows up at the office of a Lutheran pastor in a neighboring state, and there he confesses to be the real murderer of the white cheerleader. The pastor initially dismisses his confession, but over time he comes to the conviction that it is real and genuine. And as a result, he contacts the defense attorney of the young black football player about to die. Only his call is dismissed as just another crank call. The pastor persists with very little time left. He takes the man who has Confess to him across state lines, holds a press conference and informs everyone that an innocent man is about to die. Meanwhile, appeals are being made to the courts as well as to the state governor, only they're all turned down. At the appointed time, the young football star is strapped to a gurney, injected with poison, and he dies. But the story is not over. For the confessed felon leads the pastor and others to the place where he claims he buried the dead cheerleader. The digging commences, and in due time, the body is found. An innocent man has been put to death. Now, that is generally fiction, but it is a fictitious story built on many true elements. And as you can see, in one way or another, all of the elements in the story tend to dovetail with what we have here in Lord's Day 40, about the Sixth Commandment, murder Confession, courts, judges, the state, even miscarriages of justice are all part of the picture. And so you can say in some ways what we have here in Lord's Day 6 mirrors life. And of course we saw that last week as well, and it's all during the week. We heard additional commentary about those murders committed in Tucson, Arizona. Six people dead and a congresswoman severely injured. And so it is, you can say, that almost every day, without exception, you can read in our press about murder. Murder after murder after murder. And it all testifies to the fact that our world is a very violent place, a place not only filled with murder, but with abortion and euthanasia and so many other terroristic crimes as well. You can also say that our world desperately needs to hear also what the Lord God has commanded here in the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. And so I'd like to preach to you this afternoon on the following theme, protecting your neighbor's life, because that's the positive thrust of this commandment. And we're going to see that we do that by rejecting every form of murder, by hating every root of murder, by promoting every enemy of murder. My beloved, as we begin our treatment of the Sixth Commandment, it's good to begin by reminding ourselves about some of the basics. For who is speaking here? Who is uttering this commandment? I remind you, it is not man, it is not society at large, it is not a court or a judge somewhere. No, this particular commandment, as all the rest, comes straight from the mouth of Almighty God. It is God who tells his people Israel ages ago and who is still telling people everywhere today that murder is a crime, an offense, a most forbidden thing. Yes, and because it comes from God, it behooves people everywhere to listen and obey. For if God is speaking here, then it means actually that the creator of life the source of all meaning, the author of every law and precept is speaking here. If we need to listen to anyone, then we need to listen to him. But why? Why does God forbid murder? Well, you may know the answer actually lies in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. It lies in who man is and in the manner in which God has created him. For there we are told that man was made originally in his own image, in the image of God, in his likeness. In short, nothing else in all of creation compares to man. He's the crown, if you will, of God's creation, weak. He is the climax of his work. He is the pinnacle of his creative ability, you might even say. He is the one who reflects, mirrors, and resembles the Lord God of this earth and of all creation. Man is unique. And then, of course, I realize that many attempts are being made as well today to chip away at this uniqueness. Darwinian evolutionistic thinking tends to dominate today, and it would have us believe that actually, man, that actually you and I are just one more life form. And indeed we are being repeatedly told today that we are actually indistinguishable from every other life form. Pigs, plants, and man, we all have the same essence. But you know, that's not the biblical testimony. Aside from whatever physical connections there may be between man and creation, the fact remains that Scripture everywhere says that man is unique. You read it in Genesis 1, you read it in Genesis 9, you read it in Psalm 139, you read it in Job 10, and the list goes on. Man is unique. Unique in terms of how God created them male and female as well as in terms of the office with which God has endowed them. So now because man is a direct creation of God endowed with special qualities and a special office, his life is precious. It's precious. And it's to be protected. And cherished, promoted, treasured, esteemed. But of course, that's not happening, is it? Aside from the fall into sin itself, the first crime mentioned in the Bible is the crime of murder. And then murder of a most despicable kind One brother rises up and kills another. Yes, and from there it escalates. You know, by the time you come to Genesis 6, only five short chapters later, we hear God complaining to Noah, the earth is filled with violence. Beatings, assaults, rapes, break-ins, robberies, and murders are everywhere. The earth is contaminated with violence. And so it really is little wonder that God decides to send a cleansing flood. And little wonder as well that immediately after the flood, he issues a new command. We've read it in Genesis 9. And for your life, blood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal And from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. God forbids blood shedding. God forbids murder. God makes it crystal clear as well in the sixth commandment of his, of his law. Now that's the command. You might even say that's the general command. You shall not murder. And I say general because if we now dig deeper, we shall see that this is about every form Of murder. You might wonder, every form of murder, what's that? I thought that this was about the one dastardly deed. Well, it's about more than that. Look and learn from the Heidelberg Catechism. Answer 150 says, and we read it together, I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor. And how? Well, by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds. You see, it's all connected. Thoughts, words, gestures, and deeds are inseparable here. Take the case of Cain. You can be sure that before he did in his brother Abel, He thought about it. All kinds of thoughts were running riot in his head and in his heart. And you can be sure as well that angry words played a role too. God even tells him to turn down the rhetoric. And as well, you can be sure the deed is not done in silence. Murder is a messy business. And then it doesn't matter whether you do it yourself or you get someone else to do it for you. Don't you remember David, King David? His heart became so besotted with Bathsheba that he just had to have her. But she's married. No problem. You write a letter to your general Joab and you tell him to put her husband in the front line as they attack the city and he'll sure to die. And sure enough he did. Did David kill him? Not really. He just, he just arranged it through another the catechism says. But then, beloved, murder and death are not just committed and arranged, they are also played with. The catechism warns us not to recklessly harm or endanger ourselves. Some would call this self-murder or suicide. Yes, and it comes in many, many different forms. Maybe it struck you as well that today extreme sports are the big thing, and they all involve a high degree of danger. Maybe you even heard about the television program in Europe where people try to outdo one another in performing dangerous stunts in front of the camera. Not so long ago, a young man tried to jump one car too many And he ended up breaking his neck, and he's now a paraplegic. Or what about this kickboxing phenomenon that we have and that we have supposedly newly licensed here in Canada, where the aim seems to be to use your hands and your feet and even your head to beat your opponent into a bloody pulp. The more blood, the better. Goaded on by a frenzied crowd of idiot spectators, they go at it. Thrills, fame, and money are the aim, but injury, and sometimes even death, are the result. But yet that, beloved... As the sixth commandment teaches us, all of that, and even more than that, we can add to the vices, is not the way of the kingdom of God or of the children of God. And then, of course, we're not just talking about murder and suicide, but also about abortion and euthanasia and and so many other dumb things that we do with our bodies. God made us special. God made us unique. God made us to reflect himself. God made us to serve him as prophets, priests, and kings. Human life is precious. It's his gift to humanity and to creation. So, beloved, we must say that every form of murder is denounced by the sixth commandment. But you know, so is also every root of murder. More than anyone else, it's the Lord Jesus that points this out. He does so on the Sermon on the Mount in particular. And you know, the background of his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is, and has a lot to do with the common approach to the law in his time. And what was the most common approach to the law, and it's not dead today, other, it's to externalize the precepts, the commandments of the Lord. It's to treat them very, very superficially. Things like theft, murder, slander, were in those days, and sometimes even in our days as well, restricted merely and solely to the actual deed. As long as you did not actually hit anyone over the head, you're a good boy. But then along comes the Lord Jesus and you'll notice the Lord Jesus talks about a lot more than deeds. As a matter of fact, he hardly talks about deeds. He, he mentions motives. He mentions the roots. Why do people steal? Because Christ says they covet. Why do they slander? Because he says they're jealous. Why do they murder? Because they're filled with envy and hatred. Take the case of King Ahab. The young people here will remember the story. He wanted the vineyard of his his neighbor Naboth. He offers to buy it, to replace it, even to give him a better vineyard somewhere else in the land. And Naboth declines all the offers that King Ahab throws at him. Why? Because he's stubborn or because he's holding out for a better price, or because he wants to get under the king's skin. No. Naboth simply cherishes this land that he's received from his father and his father's father, this land that goes all the way back to the time when Israel entered into the promised land. It's his inheritance. And he cherishes it. But notice, Ahab doesn't back down. He fixates on that land next door. He, he just has to have it. He's the king, after all. And so he sulks and he fumes until finally Queen Jezebel has had enough. And she offers to be the fixer and fix Naboth. She does. She has him stoned to death on trumped-up charges. The king's unrighteous anger, envy, jealousy leads to his neighbor's death. And what that really illustrates, beloved, is that murder cannot be Neatly confined or isolated to, to an actual deed. No, murder always has roots. It usually has roots that grow unchecked. You know, the Catechism takes its cue from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and the Catechism says God hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. And that's a serious point. That's also a very applicable point for us even today. And it forces us to ask the question: Are any of these roots, any of these weeds, growing in your heart? Just stop for a moment and, and take stock. If you're daydreaming, please wake up. Search your heart. Better yet, ask God to help you search your heart, and you can do a better job. Is there anyone out there that that? you envy, perhaps you envy their looks or their money or their toys. There's this fellow student at school who just fills you with so much jealousy. Or is there anyone out there that you hate? Maybe you've carried around a grudge against someone else. For years. It could be related to what they said or did or didn't say or didn't do. Or just what you heard. Or is there anyone out there that makes you angry? Spitting angry? Perhaps they said something nasty about you some time ago. Or whatever. You see, beloved, all of us, and that's what this commandment really forces us to do, because it's not just out there, it's also in here. All this commandment forces us to do is to identify also our hates, our angers, our jealousies, and, and then it calls upon us to address them honestly and brutally. Of course, our tendency is to rationalize. We're all experts in making excuses. We can all cite contributing factors. But forget about all that. Realize that when you maintain these negative emotions, when you harbor them and cultivate them in your heart, they'll grow. And they will grow. And they'll take root, and they'll turn your heart into a garden of weeds and a greenhouse for murder. Be assured that if God can see the game that David is playing with Uriah, and if God can see what King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are up to with regard to that vineyard of Nabos, he can also see what's festering in your heart. So pull out the ugly roots of envy and hatred and anger and revenge. Yank them out. Throw them away. Burn them up. And in their place, plant other stuff. What should you plant? Well, how about every enemy of murder? I know, I know that's a rather strange expression to talk about enemies of murder, but think about it. Isn't that what love, patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, friendliness, protection, and goodness are all about. You know, if you have these kinds of qualities growing in your heart, you'll do well. And I can say that because the Lord Jesus Christ, again, points us in this direction both through his words as well as through his entire life. The first part of the Sermon on the Mount, called the Beatitudes, he gives us a whole long list of, of blessed people. In other words, he says, if you do these things, or if you are into these things, then your life will be filled with wholeness and happiness, peace and harmony, joy and goodness. And among the things he mentions are blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. You see, if you pray, work, and ask for these qualities of meekness, mercy, purity, and peace to grow in your heart, they will fill the void left by ejecting anger and envy, hatred, And all the rest. They'll take root. They'll flourish. And they will help you to reflect the true image of God. They will make you what you are meant to be. And so, clue in to that sermon of the Lord Jesus. But do more than simply clue in or listen to it. Learn as well from his very life. Can you find even a trace of envy, jealousy, revenge, even anger in the life of our Lord? Ah, you say, yes. Look at what he did when he cleaned house in the temple. Anger. But then, of course, we probably need to distinguish between different kinds of anger because what the Lord Jesus does display from time to time is righteous anger. Righteous anger because something offends him that ultimately offends his father in heaven or it offends him because it undermines the quality of life of his children. But you will not find in him an ounce of vindictive, irrational anger. Rather here you meet with the righteous anger of the Son of God. And we need to learn from him. And we also need not only to listen and learn from him, we also need to lean on him. Lean on him for forgiveness every time you fly off the handle. Lean on him for mercy every time you fall back on your own revengeful, spiteful ways. Lean on him for grace every time you forget to be gracious. Thankfully, we have a Savior who never stops teaching, modeling, working for us and our salvation. And so, listen, learn, lean on him. Also, when it comes to this sixth commandment of the covenant law of his Father. You know, in a world filled with violence, murder, and mayhem, as well as with countless miscarriages of justice. It's good. It's great. To have a savior to turn to. To trust in. And to know that one day, one day he's going to come. And he's going to right every wrong. And he's going to make us completely and perfectly what we're meant to be. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.